Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. So what parent cannot identify or relate to this scenario or something similar? Dad, what are you doing? I'm fixing the lawnmower. Why? So I can cut the grass. Why? So we can play soccer together. Why? So that you can grow up to be healthy and strong. Why? So that you can provide for your family and be a responsible citizen to society. Why? So you can look after mommy and daddy when they get old. The intent of the question why is to get to the basic reasons for the action or a reaction. I went through the scriptures very briefly looking at the Bible on the various references to this word why being used. And there are literally hundreds of them. And this question is not just being asked by little children, but along with many others, it is actually being asked many times by God. In Genesis 4, verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? In Genesis 18, When the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child when I am old? In Numbers 12, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of clouds and stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam when both of them stepped forward. He asked, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly And do not, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? What a challenging statement the Lord makes to Aaron and Moses, or Aaron and Miriam, as to why they were challenging God's anointed. God is not pleased when we are not getting along. In Judges 2, the angel of the Lord came and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet, You have disobeyed me. 
Why have you done this? In 2 Chronicles, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? In Isaiah 5, Now you dwellers of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I took, when I looked for your, your grapes, why did I find bad ones? Nathan asked of David, why did you despise the work of the Lord by doing what was evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. But he didn't just use that question in the Old Testament. To the multitudes, Jesus asked, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor is dressed like one of these. Jesus said to the Pharisees, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? Jesus asked even his own followers, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, And do not do the things that I say. Even his disciples. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Even Jesus asked of God the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The angels asked the followers of Jesus after his ascension, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way. You have seen him go. The question why tears through all the husks and gets to the kernel of the questions. So, when we ask, why does the church exist? We are making a very legitimate request. It's a question that has purpose. When all the extra things are set aside, what is the real reason for us being here? It's, as I have identified, the king of questions. Why do we exist as a local church? As a localized part of the body of Christ. This question could have many answers to it. And many of them are good answers and can be supported by Scripture. There is a vast number that would say, 
to present the gospel to the lost, to bring hope to the hurting, to provide a place of worship and instruction, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to comfort the grieving, to feed the hungry, to help the needy, to pick up the fallen, to accompany the lonely. And while all these answers are certainly good reasons for what we ought to be doing in applying our efforts, they are not the primary reason for our existence. The answer, the primary answer for why we exist is to glorify the Lord, our God. The Apostle Paul in Romans communicated the purpose of the church this way. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a wonderful perspective. What a wonderful communication as to why we exist, that we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ being united as one. Turn, excuse me, turning to Revelation chapter 2 we see the angel of the Lord is communicating to the church in Ephesus here. And he communicates to write these words, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Pretty commendable, right? But he goes on, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you, have where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, if, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. They have been distracted from their first love. May that not be so of Forest Baptist Church, that we get distracted doing a, such a multitude of different things that we get distracted from our first love. And yet, this is often the case in church. We can easily become like a business to grow. After all, bigger is better, right? 
to make a good impression, to look good, to have stirring music, to deliver consuming messages. Why do we exist? Why do we preach? Why do we sing? Why do we serve? There is only one answer that is acceptable, to glorify God. 2 Thessalonians 1 says in verses 11 and 12, To this end also we pray that you all, for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your God in heaven. That's the ultimate purpose, to bring God glory. Well, what does that mean? Understanding the answer. That's great that we understand that we are to glorify Him, but what does that mean? Scripture uses glory in a variety of different ways. As a bright light, it talks about the Shekinah glory in Scripture. A good example of that was when uh, in Exodus, then the cloud came over the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God led the children of Israel through the wilderness in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But when the tabernacle was finished, and his presence rested on the Holy of Holies. It took the form of a brilliant light. Glory is also reused in Scripture to identify the distinctness of God's unique creation. In 1 Corinthians 15, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavens, heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. Glory here is identifying the uniqueness of God's creation. But the glory that we're talking about of glorifying God is different than a light or the uniqueness of His creation. This glory to glorify God is to magnify Him, to lift Him up, to worship and praise and honor and celebrate Him. 
is to elevate the Lord God as we diminish and deny ourselves. John the Baptist had a handle on this. He must increase, but I must decrease, he says. John was a voice. Jesus was the Word. John was only a man. Jesus was the Messiah. John didn't consider himself worthy to untie his sandal. Glorifying God is to be occupied with Him, to be committed to Him, to be desirous to to celebrate God's ways rather than our ways. Considering David... He shows us how to glorify God in Psalm 149. No, Psalm 145. This is what David, how David celebrates. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They will speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in, in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are failing or are falling and rises up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand to satisfy the desires of every living thing. The word is righteous in all its ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. He faithful. He fulfills His desire to those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord 
and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. David's desire was to glorify God. He lived to glorify God. Do we experience that? Have we ever demonstrated or called upon God in such a fashion? Of course, it's easier to, to have that, that mindset, that heart's position when things are all going well, when the, the wind is at our backs, when we got smooth sailing. But what about when we're running contrary to the way we would like things to be? What if the rain pelting down upon us is stinging our cheeks? Well, David was in a similar situation as that in Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for, you, for to you do I call all the day. Gladden my soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are God of merciful and gracious." slow to anger and abounding in the steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Nothing has changed with David, whether things are going well or when he was going through times of great opposition and challenge and uncertainty. The same man, the same God, the same spirit of praise. 
So we've been looking at the king of questions and understanding the answer. And now I just want to touch on how do we apply this answer? How can we glorify God? And in doing that, I want to draw your attention to some wins. We can glorify God, or we ought to be glorifying God. When we are unsure, we glorify God by seeking and waiting upon Him. Remember what David said in Psalm 86, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in them. It's walk in their truth. It's, it, it is presumed that as God would reveal His will and His way and His direction to David, that He would obey them. How presumptuous is it for us to call upon God to ask for God's intervention, for ask God to reveal to us what He would have us do, and then when He does, that we don't do that. When we make a decision, you glorify Him by leaning on His guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, no doubt a very familiar passage of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your own heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways lean on Him and He will direct your paths. We glorify Him amid affliction, amid suffering, amid hardship. We glorify Him by seeking His will rather than our benefit, our exit, our escape. When you let go of dreams and walk away, willing to surrender our life, our plans, our days for Him, for His glory, to do His will, Accepting God's will for our lives is glorifying Him. There are some ins in glorifying the Lord. In our public life, in our private life, our motives ought to be the same. Our desires ought to be the same. To glorify Him and not our own. In our relationships, his glory should be central. To the young people, you have heard it before. Please hear it again. Be wise in those you date. The way to win the lost is not by dating them. In our homes, at work, in our schools, his glory should be the prime motivation the prime factor in everything that we do. In fame and fortune, the spotlight should be upon Him. And if that spotlight fades, or if that experience fades, and disappointments come, our focus ought to remain on Him and not on ourselves and our circumstances. How can we do this as individuals? Or how can we do this as a church? 
to glorify God. One, we need to cultivate, cultivate a habit that will include God in our everyday life. In times when a decision needs to be made, we bring glory to God by seeking His will. Doing His will and our desire is not always the same thing. Refuse to accept or expect any glory that belongs to God alone. We need to be aware we are like sponges. The flesh has a tendency to want to soak up glory and praise. All we can. Be on guard. Don't take for yourselves that which belongs to God. That's what happened to Achan when they took over, when they were entering into the promised land, Achan and his family were destroyed because they took what was belonged to the Lord. Socrates once said, bad men live that they may eat and drink, whereas good men eat and drink that they may live. Interesting counsel. Someone wiser said, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of the Lord. For who can eat and, and who can have enjoyment without God? From Solomon. James says, every good thing comes from the Lord. And so we can celebrate the blessings that we enjoy. But Paul makes this much more clear and higher yet when he wrote, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. If we are wise, we too will have that as our primary motivation for life. To please, to glorify our God. Today we celebrate 151 years of ministry here at Forest Baptist Church. May God not only be pleased as we celebrate and recognize the years that have been committed to his service here, but may we glorify him yet still, sending our attention, our focus, our desire upon him, seeking his will, seeking his provision, not resting in what we have done, not anticipating the accomplishments that we can do, but seeking his will for his glory to accomplish his purpose. May we be found faithful. Let me pray.
Father, we bow before you with gratefulness for the knowledge that we have that you are our God. There is none like you. You are the author of every good thing, and we recognize that. You have plans and provisions for us that we know not of. And yet, Lord God, we seek you. May we be found obedient in calling upon you. May we be supporting those who are giving leadership over us. Lord God, may we be united as a body. May we be pleasing in your sight. For our desire is to glorify you. May that be so. In Jesus' name, amen.